and is to come. You know, as I, I sit here today, I think about God is love, and I think that we're called to stand in love, we're called to walk in love, and we're called to speak in love. I want to challenge you this morning as we walk in these last days and we're in the craziness of division and the lack of unity. There's two things that we don't talk about. Everybody knows what those two things are, right? Politics and religion, right? I want to challenge you to get out there and start talking about your faith. I want to challenge you to start going out there and be bold and share your faith. Because if we don't get out there and do what God's called us to do, how are they ever going to hear if nobody cares the gospel of peace? How are they ever going to receive Jesus Christ? If we don't stand up and say, hey, and I'm not saying you got to get on a corner. I'm not saying you got to go build a church. I'm saying right in amongst your family, right in your workplace, right where you live in a daily basis, not only by words, but you get to represent Christ by your actions. So I want to encourage you to get out there in boldness. Today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as your father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that you may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and have a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they will desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Beside that, They learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule be well considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them, in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. 
No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some of the people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. You're a holy God, and you're a mighty God, and you're a worthy God of our praise and our worship. We're thankful that we're gathered here today. We ask that you disempower our pastor with your Holy Spirit, that he would speak the words that you have given. We pray that you would empower this congregation with the Holy Spirit, that we may have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we continue our journey through the practical part of 1 Timothy. Paul's laid out for us the concept of doctrine. Now he's focused in on, so what do you do with it? When we read the Bible, when we come to the Word of God, and we say that the Word of God is our final arbor, it is the the answer to our, our issues in life. Whatever things we're banging up against, we're going to the Word of God and saying, what do we do about this? And so Paul's telling us. He's saying, here's how you apply what the Word of God said. We read through the idea of chapter 3 of, of the requirements for elders, the requirements for deacons. We've read through the requirements for widows. We've read through all of these ideas, these requirements, which should challenge each and every one of us that we need to live in uh, the reliance on, on the Word of God and the reliance on the Spirit of God to enable us to be who we need to be. But otherwise, I don't know about you, but I go through the list and I don't make it very far. You made it all the way to the end? I, I stumbled on the part where it said, be above reproach, meaning, you know, nobody has anything against you. You guys think nobody has anything against you? Honestly? We might have to back up and start this whole thing all over again. <laughs> but what he wants us to do when he lays these ideas out for us, is to live in the reliance of his power, not ours. To, reli- to live in the reliance on his forgiveness, to stand in his mercy. Like the last song we sang, right? The idea of understanding and recognizing that it's God who wins the battles in our life, not me. Now that doesn't mean I can't manipulate my circumstances. Sure you can You may be smarter than your adversary. You may be able to manipulate all the things around you so that you come out victorious. The world's great at it. But the Bible would say that that's not how we've learned Christ. The Lord lays out for us in his word that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not fleshly. They're not made up of our ideas. They're spiritual. They're mighty in God for what? The pulling down of strongholds. They're mighty in God. You think when Joshua brought the people into the promised land, you remember they're standing outside this great city, Jericho. These huge walls in the ancient world, which were mind-boggling, how are we getting past these walls? And all the schemes of man could have come up with a hundred ways to do it, right? But the power of God came up with a different way, didn't he? The power of God just basically said, rely on me and do what I say. 
Rely on me, do what I say. But Lord, it doesn't make no sense. That's not a requirement. Is it? Is it a requirement that things that God challenges us to do make sense to us? There's an idea in doctrine, uh, a concept in doctrine called the noetic effect of sin. Or the noetic effect of the fall. The idea of the the word noetic means that it affects all of us. Our our whole being. There's, There's a lot of times people have a lot of questions about about original sin. I won't, I won't get too far sideways right now. But original sin, the idea of original sin is this. Adam fell, and because Adam fell, we're born sinners. Now, I'm not born guilty of Adam's sin. I'm born a sinner. I am in his image. You understand? We still bear the image of God. The Bible says that man is created in the image of God, but the image of God is effaced. It's got graffiti on it. The graffiti is sin. Are you tracking with me? It's not erased. We haven't lost the image of God. Now we're nothing like how God intended, but it's, but it's effaced. And that effacement leads me into a life as I'm born, a, a life of brokenness. I'm bent toward, well, I'm born crooked. I'm bent toward doing wrong. Now I get to choose it. You choose the wrong you do just like I choose the wrong I do, right? I get up in the morning and I know the things I ought not do and then I step out and do them anyway. I know when I'm losing my self-control or I'm losing my temper that I don't have to step. I shouldn't step over that line, but I do it anyway, right? So I am a sinner. I'm born that way. So I'm born guilty before God of the image of God being effaced in my life. So Jesus Christ came... He put on the, the, the humanity, clothed himself in humanity, just like Christ, or just like Adam, was without a sin nature, right? He's the first one who sinned. Christ came without a sin nature, only he succeeded, he didn't fail. And then he died the death for all who are effaced, so that in Christ... We put our hope and trust, and he gives us the victory. You didn't get the victory because you were smart. You didn't get the victory because you were pretty. You didn't get the victory because there's something especially uh, superior about you. You got the victory because Christ came and won it. And And if you will join yourself to him, then you are forgiven. The effacement of the image of God is erased, and now you are just man made perfect in Christ. You are righteous in Him, not in ourself. Righteous in Him because I'm trusting in Him. So that, like that song said so well, all I did was praise. Right? The idea of giving thanks, ascribing worth to the King. Thank you. For what you did for me. Now, in response to that, right? In response to what Christ has done for me and the, the beauty of the grace that's been extended to me, not by something that I did, but by simply putting my faith and trust in Him, now He calls me to what? 
I put my faith and trust in Christ. I fall before the king like that sinner, right? I know I have graffiti across. It says sin. And I know I've chosen sin since the day I was born. Whenever it suited me. Whenever it fitted me. So then I fall on my knees before my king. I beat my breast. I say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what did Jesus say when he told that story? That man went away what? Justified. You know, justified means just as if I'd never sin. That man went away justified. Now, how do I live? Now, Jesus, as he, as he walks from me, as he washes me with his blood, right? He washes me white as snow. The, the effacement is removed. As he's done that, as he's accomplished that, he bids me do what? Come, follow me. So now I have a standard. The standard's not my neighbor. It's not the person sitting next to me. It's not my wife. It's not my children. It's not my family. The standard is Jesus Christ. Come, follow me. So now I live my life trying to meet up to or live in an uh, equality with the standard of Christ. Now, when we try to live up to the standard of Christ, oftentimes we will fall short. Yes? And when we do, what does it mean to, re- to live in the reliance of the mercy, grace, and power of God? It means when I stumble, when I fall, I confess my sin, I repent, I get up, and I go on. I continue to follow him. And if it happens seven times in a day, it happens seven times in a day. And I get up and I continue to follow him. And when you live life that way, you are called a Christian. Someone who is like Christ. Following him. Not perfect. And and I don't want to necessarily step on the idiom, not perfect, just forgiven. But that's true too. But striving toward him. Reaching out for him. Trying to lay my hand on that standard. I want to be like you, Lord. I want to see people like you see people. I want to love people like you love them. I want to be able to stand when you need me to stand. I want to be able to be quiet when you tell me, shh. I want to be able to do all those things. Because I'm following you. So... All of the requirements that we've looked through in the practical sense of 1 Timothy lay out for us the standard of Christ and we are to strive for, stretch for, reach out for that standard. And when we fall, or if we fail, or where we stumble, then we need to repent and confess. And the higher up, is that the right word? The more responsibility you have the more public your failure needs to be. That's the part we don't like so well. We would all prefer to fail in private, right? I often say, and I think really this is what I mean, I often say I'd like to go back to the days before I got into ministry when when coming to church was magic. And it, feeling the Spirit of God was so intense. And all those things are still true. But feeling, but there's an added weight. See, when you step into ministry and you get more involved and you take on more responsibility, all of that adds weight. See, before when you came to church, you just came with your wheelbarrow. 
And you have the rocks in your wheelbarrow from your week. And you brought your wheelbarrow into church. And there's a pile somewhere. And everybody pushes their wheelbarrow over to pile and dumps it. And my wheelbarrow's empty. And oh my gosh, I feel so good. And I'm so happy. And then everybody goes home. And the people who are in ministry got a pile of rocks. (laughs) And so their job, our job, is to take that pile of rocks before the Lord. It's not our job to carry those things. But you know, all those rocks get heavy. Picking up all those rocks, knowing all the stuff that you know, uh, forgetting or trying to forget all the stuff you know. I just want you to know, it don't matter what you think I know about you, or I I don't care at all. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it to. If you want Jesus Christ, that's good enough for me. That's all I care about. If you're a person here who is who doesn't like people like that, who are broken and who have messed up and who need fresh starts, then you're not going to like it here very well. This <laughs> a sorry, yeah. The the four broken people. <clears throat> so so I've, I've often said I, I want this to be the first church of the broken, not so that we just stay in our brokenness and wallow in our self pity. But that we recognize, okay, I'm a mess, you're a mess, we mess up. Let's live a life of confession, repentance on Christ, and do better. And let's have patience for one another, and let's call one another out when we got to call each other out, right? We, we do all those things that we're supposed to do in family. But as we function in ministry, we get behind the curtain, right? I think about the Wizard of Oz. And never mind the man behind the curtain, right? In ministry, there's a dude behind the curtain, and, uh, you know, so, so he lays out for us here in this section that, that those who accept the responsibility of, of leadership within the body are, are worthy of respect. Why? Because they'll pick up your rocks. At least that's what we're supposed to do. We'll, we'll try to take your burden off of you and then lift it to Christ. And some of those burdens stick. They're sticky. You know what I mean? You, you, you try to you try to drop it, but you notice I, I put that rock in my pocket. Oh, I did I didn't notice I put that rock here, and you you go to take it out. It's like it's like the ring with Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, right? You don't really want to set it down. You wanna you, you you're reminded about you. Oh, I wish I could fix this. I wish I could solve this. I wish I could make it go away. Now go back to what we started about before. It's not our own strength that gives victory. Where's victory? Victory is in Christ, or it is not at all. So then we've got to take all those burdens from one another. You know, I, um, Casey's in the, back in the hospital. She got a rash, something's going on. They're trying to check and see if it's an infection. It's scary when you're fighting cancer and stuff like that happens. And, and I wish I could fix it. I wish that if I went and I, and I, put enough oil on her, I prayed enough of a prayer over her that, that God would do my will. But that simply is not in Scripture. The Bible says that God heals whom God heals, and he does it his way. Sometimes he spits in your eye. That don't seem like a good way to you, right? If you come to me and say, Jackie, I got a headache, will you pray for me? And I spit in your face and rub it around. You're going to go, oh, thank you. That was, that's good. No, but that Jesus did that, right? 
Some guy comes over and says, I can't see. He spits on the ground. God spit? Yeah, God spit on the ground. He mushed it up and made mud, smeared it in the dude's eyes, and said, go wash your face. <laughs> if you think about that stuff, you're like, wow. Was, it was holy spit and holy mud. It's God saying, look, I'm going to do all this stuff how I'm going to do this stuff. And you don't have to be okay with it. You just have to do it. And if you'll do it, the man went and washed himself in the pool of Siloam and came back seeing. So we, we look to Christ to do it. We pray fervently. We call on his name. Don't be afraid to ask God. Don't, don't, don't think that you have to give God the out either. You don't have to give God an out. God will do what God will do. You tell God what you want. God, I want you to heal Casey in Jesus' name. I want you to heal Vince. I want you to heal Mark. I want you to heal the people within our fellowship who are struggling. It's our job in leadership and in ministry to take those burdens for the Lord and then rely on him and be careful not to take them back. So because of that, Paul says those people who accept that responsibility, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, who point us to the word of God and say, man, we need to hold fast to this. Well, what's this idea of double honor? There's a lot of things that are floating out there. For example, today we're going to have a newcomer's lunch and those who are elders get a double portion of food. <laughs> That's not what it means. Double portion of food or, or they get an office and they're supposed to have age. That's a double portion Double salary, respect, remuneration, position, performance, performance and payment. Uh, the point is, the same word used for widow, honor widows who are really widows, is used for honoring elders who do it, who do it well. The same concept of children honoring their parents. Honor the people who are doing their best to love you. And to meet your needs and to, and to pray for your needs and to lift those things before Christ. Just, just honor them. You know, it's easy to dishonor people. Did you know that? It's easy to talk about people. It's easy to spread stories. It's easy to spread rumors. That stuff's all super easy. It takes a, a, an effort to say, I want to honor them. Yeah, it's, I don't know if it's about money or not about money, and I don't really care about money at all. So just so you know, here at Calvary Chapel Buell, I have no say on what I get paid. The elders who are not on staff make all salary decisions, period. They do it. I say thanks and go my merry way. Because I don't want to, that's just not a thing. This is not Congress. We don't get to vote in our own raises. This is not how that works. Here, we're like, look, it's, it's either Christ takes care of you or you don't. And I'm saying Christ takes care of you. That's how it works. You know, 2009, when Kathy and I came, 2009, there was, if, I don't know if you remember, there was a housing crash in California. We left California like the night before we left. This is a little, this is a hyperbole. You guys know what that is? So the night before we left, my house worth $250,000. The night we leave, my house worth 50000 
So I, I went to sleep, woke up, lost $200,000 on my house. Do you think you can sell a house if you lose $200,000 off it? No. But God still called. We still came. God provided our needs. We came over. We, we, we thought, well, it's going to be, it's going to be cheaper to live in Idaho. Just so you know, it ain't no cheaper to live here than California. Maybe gas. That's about it. And whatever you pay less in gas, you pay more in insurance. Do you know why? We are like the third worst drivers in the nation. We, it's crazy. And I don't know how we do it because we don't drive fast necessarily. I got here and I slowed down. I go to California and I start sweating. It's like people are in a hurry everywhere you go. Yeah, I don't know why. It's, we just, it's so pretty everywhere we look. We just run into each other. <laughs> so we come, we came and we rent and we, we barely had it, you know, what we needed. But God took care of us. And here's the point. God took care of us. When we couldn't swing paying rent anymore, I, didn't, I don't go to the board and say, hey, I can't make it. I look to heaven. Hey, Lord, <laughs> we're, st- we're still treading water, but uh, it's starting to come up by my nose. Can we get a little help? <laughs> and so, and the Lord always provided. He was never late. He was always on time. I might have felt like he was late, but he was never late. Ten years later, we're fine. Everything's good. We have survived it all. Because the Lord took care of us. Now, who gets the glory for that? You know who doesn't get the glory? The board of elders doesn't get the glory. The church doesn't get the glory. Jesus Christ gets the glory. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? So that it's him. We want to honor those who are in those positions. We want to remember them. Listen, the scripture says in verse 18, not to muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. And Jesus said, the laborer deserves his wages. And Deuteronomy 25.4, it says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Here's my question to you, and this is a question that Paul asks in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you think oxes are reading the Bible? (laughs) Do you think the ox is one day going to open up scripture and go, don't be muzzled? Oh, I've been getting ripped off all this time. Do you think that verse is for the ox? The, the point of the verse is, and, and the development of it in 1 Corinthians 9, you guys can look at that, read it later on. The development of it is, the one who works ought to, ought to receive part of whatever's going on. When Jesus was talking about it, he said it like this. If you're, if you're driving the, the plow, the workman should expect part of the harvest. In other words, if you're out there being a part of it, then, then you receive something. Now today, we do that by, by, by paying a wage, right? They paid a wage back then too. But the idea is, if you're working, the workman is worthy of his wage. The laborer deserves what he gets. These are things that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. <coughs> when Jesus sent out the 70. You remember when he said, don't take gold, don't pack a bunch of stuff, don't pack a bunch of food. Then he says, a workman's worthy of his wage. You go into a house, you go to a house in the middle, in the Middle East culture, if you were new into a neighborhood, people invited you over and they fed you. And so he said, go to the house you get invited to, eat what they put in front of you and thank God for it. The workman is worthy of his wage. You receive from the harvest. You're going forth with the gospel. You receive from that gospel for what you're doing. 
He goes on in verse 19. Now do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so just so you know, we have this idea that, 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 that somewhere we're supposed to scrap all of the things that God's word teaches us. So, so let me simplify it. This is how you receive a charge against anyone. Not just an elder. This is not a special deal. This is saying, apply the same principles you apply to everyone, to your leaders. Does that seem like a good idea? Apply the same principle you apply to one another, to your leaders. Don't accept a charge, except from the mouth of two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 17.6, listen to what it says. On the evidence of two or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So it's an important, it's a big deal, right, when you take someone's life, yes? It's a big deal, it's not a little thing, so make sure you got the right guy. So how did the Lord say to do it? Make sure you have two or three witnesses. You know what a witness is, right? A witness is someone who's seen whatever the charge is. Not someone who heard from someone who heard from someone about something that supposedly happened. Did you pay attention to the impeachment? Now look. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't necessarily care one way or the other, but I can tell you this. Hearsay is not a witness, right? Do you want someone to bring witness against you? Somebody shows up to me and says, you know, <clears throat> Jackie, I have a charge against your wife. I heard from someone who heard from someone who heard that she did this. Is that how we do things now? So the Bible says, do not receive a charge against an elder except from the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, I will apply that for every single one of you. So when someone comes to me and says, you know what I heard? And I will say, I don't care. But I heard they did this. I don't care. If you are not a witness, you're spreading gossip. Now, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But the only one who can bring a charge is the one who saw. Now, listen to what the Word of God says. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Who can bring a charge against one of God's elect? That It's a rhetorical question which demands a negative answer, which means no one. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 starts like this. <clears throat> there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. How much condemnation is there? None. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a lick. So he says, who can bring a charge against, against God's elect? Now the answer for you and I is, well, nobody. Was that the same answer for God? Let me ask you this. Did God see what you did? So is he a witness? Did the son see what you did? Is he a witness? The Spirit see what you did? See, if you're Yahweh, you have all three witnesses wrapped up in one. You understand? God knows. God's seen. God is aware. He can acknowledge all of these things. So the point is, you can bring no charge. But listen to what Romans 8 says. <clears throat> it says, who will bring a charge against, against God's elect? And then the very next phrase, it is Christ who died. He knows you're guilty. Christ died for your guilt. 
So if you are living in the reliance of Christ, you are a just man made perfect. There is now therefore no condemnation. Now if you're a wolf hiding among the sheep, your sin will find you out. And when it does, we're going to do what the word says to do. Just like the word says to do it. Scripture lays out, don't receive a charge except from the mouth of witnesses. Two or three who have seen it. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against any person for any crime, for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three shall a charge be established. You see, it's a normal rule, right? It's a normal rule. 2 Corinthians 13.1, Paul writes, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Is this a new idea? Is it only in the Old Testament? Nope, it's in the New Testament too. Jesus, Matthew eighteen sixteen, says, If you have ought against your brother, go to your brother, bring it to him. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses are not people you told about whatever somebody did. You get that, right? That's not how that works. You got odd against your brother, talk to your brother, be restored to your brother. If someone comes to you and says, hey man, you did this and it hurt me. What does it cost you to say these words? I'm sorry. That ain't hard. If someone comes to you and says you offended them, you don't got the right to tell them you don't have the right to be offended. Your job, if someone is offended by something you did, is to say these words. I'm sorry. We tell that to every two-year-old in preschool. Right? Little Johnny stole your block. Johnny, did you steal his block? Say your... You guys have all done this. It doesn't end when you grow up. <coughs> when we grow up, we say, okay, if I've offended you, I, I, I try to be so quick on this. Look, if I offended you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, that was not, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm, forgive me. Do you know what happens to the issue? It's done. The only way you can keep an issue is to say no. But we got a different problem, right? Because what does God tell us to do if someone asks us to forgive them? Forgive them. Well, do you get to say no? See, God makes the rules really easy. So we can follow him. That's why he calls us sheep. Because we get a little complicated over rules. So <clears throat> if you've given offense, say you're sorry and ask them to forgive you. If someone has offended you, says they're sorry and asks you to forgive them, you. And look, we got it all worked out. Oh, I'm so glad we got that all done this morning. <clears throat> so we shouldn't have any of those things going on, right? Now, in verse 20, he says, as for those who persist in sin. Now, he's talking about leadership. He's talking about elders here, this whole section. So he says, as for those who persist in sin. So two or three witnesses came forth. A charge was established. It's true. 
then that charge is laid out before the elder. For those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. If you've been here for 10 years, you've seen it before. If you haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and sorry, I guess, at the same time. If a public leader at Calvary Chapel Buell falls in sin, persists, we're going we're gonna to try to bring it to a point of repentance and conclusion, but it will be public because it's a public position. You remember that whole thing where we say, hey, we're going to call you. All the deacons are getting a phone call. Hey, guys, we're calling to see if this is a job you want. Did you just hear what I said? If it's a public position, then it's public. That's how it works. Because I promise you, whatever the thing is, everybody's already talking about it. One thing's true, and that is that the rumor mill is alive and well everywhere on planet Earth. And bad news spreads twice as fast as good news. And it's already grown, and and the only way to control the narrative, to control what's being disseminated, what is real from what is false, is to do it in the open. Right? Right? So we, that's how it gets done. People say, people don't really like that. You know, sometimes a pastor falls and it's very public, right? It's, it's right out in front. Of, sometimes on the front page of the newspaper, but <clears throat> it's very public. Well, that's what God's word says. Let it be public. For what purpose? Why? Why rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear? The point of standing in the fear of the Lord is this. Do you, you need to really ascribe value to honoring God with what you do. It's not a little thing when we sin. Can we be restored? Yes. Can we be forgiven? Yes. Can we move forward? Absolutely. Is it a small thing when we sin against God? No. It's not a small thing. So this is the danger, right? When we're walking in grace and mercy is that we start treating sin like it's a little thing. Oh, who cares? I did this. Oh, it's all right. God will forgive me. Oh, it's all right. God will forgive me. Maybe. But the, the way God forgave you in the beginning, you remember the beginning of the story was when you fell on your knees before God beat your breast and asked God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God restored you. That's how we come before God in our sin. We mourn over our sin. We don't celebrate it. That's the problem with most of the things within the world today that are, 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 what do they call them, hot button topics. We talk about transgenderism or homosexuality or we talk about any, any other of the, of the hot button topics in, in the, the world and primarily in the church today. Look, I understand the struggle's real. I understand. I don't have, I don't even have a problem. I'll absolutely grant you same sex attraction. I'll grant you gender dysphoria. I'll give it all. But I won't celebrate it with you. I'll fall before God and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, just like me. I, I, I'm not going to say it's not sin any more than I'm going to say my stuff's not sin. Jesus said, when I look at a woman and then I have desired her in my mind, it's the same as having done it. It's the same thing. So God says to do what? Well, just sweep that under the carpet and pretend it don't happen or what? Fall down on my knees before God. Beat my breast. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Give me strength to overcome. And then go on. Get up and keep going. 
It's no different if the struggle is homosexuality, if the, if the struggle is gender dysphoria, if the struggle is A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I don't care. <clears throat> Sin's not little. We fall down before God and ask for his forgiveness, and God will forgive over and over and over and over again. We find ourselves in a position of authority when we stumble, when we fall, things become public. Well, remember this happened with Paul. Galatians chapter 2 verse 12. (coughs) Paul and Peter, a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Gentiles are all having a potluck. We're about to do that in a little while. You you smell Juanitas yet? Oh man. Uh, What kind of tacos do we get? Do we get autobata? Uh, did you get carne asada? Okay. <laughs> this is how he knows I'll be on time. So, bunch of Jews, bunch of Gentiles, all together, Paul and Peter, and they're having a potluck. And this thing happens where Peter won't hang out with the Gentiles. Galatians 2.12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, separated himself, fearing... The circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is Paul watching it happen. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all. If you being a Jew live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? He says, I confronted him to his face right there in the middle of the potluck that's what it is to answer the call to say not only say i'm committed to following jesus christ and to trying to measure up to the example that he sets and to live in the reliance of the power of the holy spirit to equip me to be that person no matter how many times it requires me to confess or repent and move on and then you hear the call of leadership good now you're ready to lead you're not ready to lead because you're perfect you're ready to lead because you understand that you need to rely on christ and you need to know when you fall It gets to be an example for everyone else to learn from. That's how it works. It's not, it's not a thing that we have to fear, but it's a thing that we need to understand. Titus 3.10 says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Sometimes it means you have to put people out of the church. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about the same thing. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5 talks about that idea as well. For the purpose that everyone would understand, it's an important, it's not a simple thing when we fall in sin. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the closer, the, 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 the more public our presentation before the people, then the more public our uh, judgment is. The Bible says... Let not many of you become teachers. Why? Because you will fall under stricter, what? Judgment. Condemnation, right? It's a bigger deal. It's a bigger deal. Understand. Understand those things. And so listen to what Paul says in verse 21. So in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you, keep these rules with, with two caveats, right? Two things he adds. 
No prejudging, no partiality. Hear that. No prejudging, no prejudice. You don't get to come in that somebody's guilty before you look at them, before you hear from them, before whatever goes on. you got to strike that from your mind because there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But what if they did something really bad? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many times i got to repeat it? No prejudging. You don't get to judge somebody on what they, on a failure they had in the past. This is the surest way that I understand I have not been forgiven. A lot of husbands have experienced it. This particular case is a friend of mine. A friend of mine that I offended and then asked for forgiveness. And, and here's the one thing I can promise you. If I've offended you once, I will. Yes. But it's okay. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I'm offensive. <clears throat> so, so if I offend you again, look, I promise this is what I'll do. I'm sorry for offending you. Please forgive me. Now, when we have that conversation, if you bring up every offense that I've ever given, what do I know? Do you have a forgiven me? And look, that's not, that doesn't stop me from being right with God. Do you understand? That stops you doesn't stop me from having a right relationship with the Lord. God very distinctly challenges us, right? If I have forgiven you, so you must forgive others. So if God has forgiven you, no prejudice, no prejudging. You don't get to bring old stuff up. You forgive it and you move on. Why? Because Jesus Christ is doing the exact same thing for you. Every day you offend him. Every day you sin. Every day you stumble and he forgives you. Have no right to not forgive another. Especially if they're saying, please forgive me. Right? No prejudging. No prejudice. And how else do we judge? Without partiality. Don't matter if you're my son, my daughter, my neighbor. Everybody gets it the same way. Right? No, there's no special deals. We all get to heaven the same way. You know that, right? I'm not like on some express elevator that goes faster. <clears throat> In fact, if it's true that only the good die young, I'm going to be here a long time. <laughs> I have been hit by trucks. Huh? People try to run over me all the time on the road. I, it's either the, the grace of God, his angels working overtime to keep me alive, bouncing off of things. Oh, oh, I don't know, but God ain't took me yet. He ain't took me yet. He's going to take me the same way he takes you. Either Jesus comes back and calls our names and we all go together. Or we, we sit here waiting. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Until he comes, I, I, do business. Keep busy. We, we, we deal with these things without partiality. He says in verse 22, <clears throat> Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. Here's what that means. If we're in a hurry, we see somebody and we say, oh, they'd be so good in leadership. And we run over and we say, you want to be a leader? But we haven't told them all the, all the stuff that we just talked about, right? Oh, yeah, I want to be a leader. And then, oh, man, I, I didn't tell you all the bad stuff. I forgot about that part. And we come up and we lay hands on him really quick. When he fails... 
Because we've been too hasty to lay hands on a leader, we, we, those who laid hands on him, bear the burden as well. We're guilty too. We've taken part in the sin of others. Do you understand? We laid hands too early. Somebody wasn't ready. And they failed. That sin falls at my feet too. Because I laid hands too early. So the Bible says, don't be in a hurry. Right? How many times does the Bible tell us to be patient? How many times should we not be in a hurry? How many times have you been in a hurry and it worked out for your better? (laughs) Every ticket hanging on my wall at house is because I've been in a hurry. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Being in a hurry is not good. Bible says don't be in a hurry to lay hands on others. Then everybody's favorite verse in the Bible who likes to drink wine. Verse 23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul's telling Timothy, look, it's okay to have a little wine. I'm telling you, it's okay. It is never going to be okay to be drunk. I don't know where that line is for you. That's up to you. I will teach you to maturity, though. You can use the things that God has provided you, and you can use them to maturity understanding that you will be guilty before God if you choose to get drunk. That's on you, not me. If you can't be mature, don't drink. Look, I made it easy again. Right? If you know you got a problem, don't drink. Here's another one. If you know your brother has a problem, then you don't drink either. Because the Bible says not to allow my liberty to cause my brother to stumble. Right? So we, we care about the people around us. But Paul's saying to Timothy, look, you got bad guts and you need to have a little wine, brother. And Timothy probably had made the choice. He said, I'm going to live totally ascetic. Maybe wine was a problem for the people in Ephesus. So he's living a totally ascetic lifestyle, drinking only water, keeping away from wine. Wine was a very normal part of their life. And so he's staying away from it all to be a good example. And it's ripping his guts up. And Paul says, dude, your asceticism doesn't make you more holy. Not drinking wine and having rotten guts is not making you better. So if you need a little wine for your stomach's sake, take a little wine. Because neither if you eat nor if you drink are you more holy before God. Paul very clearly teaches this. Very clearly. It doesn't matter what you eat, what you drink. The point is, to do it in accordance to what, what God's word lays out and care about your brother. <laughs> he goes on in verse 24. Listen, the sins of some people are conspicuous. <clears throat> going before them the judgment. The sins of others appear later. Why are we going slow and laying hands on people? Because the sins of some are right out in front. Boy, you know what's messed up with them. Sometimes you look at somebody and you go, oh, I know what's wrong with you. Right? It's all over your face. Sometimes you look at them and you think, you look pretty good. But I don't know what's behind you. <laughs> Sometimes you got to walk with people a while to see where their struggles are. Amen? Don't be afraid of that. Look, we're all broke in some way. That does not disqualify you from ministry. What disqualifies you from ministry is pretending you're not broke. 
Now I'm going to think, oh, you're self-righteous. I'm a little uptight about that. But if you're broke, and, and we can all as a body deal with your brokenness together and, and strengthen you and encourage you, then, yeah, you, you can do all the things that God is providing you to be able to do. The other is the same. Look at the flip side. So also with good works. Some good works are conspicuous, right? People do things and you see it right out in front. And you go, wow, <clears throat> these people do a lot of good works. What's the other one? And then it says, some also uh, good works are conspicuous, but even those who cannot remain uh, hidden. Some are behind them. Some are in front of them. Some are out in front. Obvious. Some you have to hang around a while to see what's going on. Here's the truth. Just like your sin may not be obvious, it may be behind you, your sin will find you out. In the same way, your good works might be out in front of you and everybody knows them, but they'll be found out too by the only one who really matters. And the only one who really matters is Christ. Our sins are obvious to him. Our guilt is obvious to him. Our good works is obvious to him. So we want to walk in that. Listen, please, we want to walk in reliance of him. Not pretending somehow. So there's a lot of people in the world that think, I'm just going to paint up this tomb. I'm going to put a good coat of paint on it. I'm going to go to the gym. I never say this, but other people do. <laughs> I'm going to go to the gym. And I'm going <laughs> to... I used to go to the gym, huh? Somewhere in, in a box of 5 million pictures, there's a picture where I had muscles once. <laughs> like 40 years ago. <clears throat> I used to do it, but, but now you... I'm sorry... You can't pay me to go to the gym. I don't want to do it. Anyways, some guys will go to the gym and they get all, and they make this, the body beautiful. It looks amazing. And they go see all the right doctors and their face is perfect and their hair is perfect and everything's perfect, but that doesn't make them any cleaner. Doesn't make them any better. You can paint the tomb, but it's still full of dead men's bones. We've got to deal with the dead men's bones. How do we deal with the dead men's bones? We bring those dead men's bones before Christ, and he makes you alive. That's Ephesians chapter 2. We who were dead in our trespasses and sin are now alive in Christ. He touches it. He purifies it. He makes it good. doesn't matter all the failures that are behind us. Now we go to Put our eyes on Christ and follow him. Don't pretend. Put your eyes on Christ and follow. And if you stumble, ask a brother for help and let him help you up. Don't be prideful. Be humble. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Who is it that makes us right? God. It's him. We need to live in that reliance. Amen? Live in that reliance. This is what the Word of God is calling us to. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to study your Word and to see, even on the pages of Scripture, Lord, you're challenging us to, to lift ourselves above the miry clay or, or to put our eyes, I should say, lift our eyes above the miry clay. Set our eyes on you. Humble ourselves before a holy God and you will make me holy. That we put our hope in your weapons. Weapons that are spiritual, not carnal. For the pulling down of strongholds. For gaining victory over the struggles of life. Gaining victory over our diseases. <laughs> for gaining victory, period. We find them in Christ Jesus. Because he's 
my doc. He's my healer. He's my empowerer. He's my defender. He is my everything. Everything I need is in him. If we, Lord, your church will just follow you in truth, in the reality, admitting where we are wrong, asking forgiveness for those we've offended, granting forgiveness to those who ask, we will have everything that the world doesn't. We will have unity. We will have true love for one another. We will be the completion of what Jesus said to his disciples so long ago that they'll know you are mine by the way you love each other. But it, that love is not lies. Love is not, that's the, that's the love the world sells. That's not true. Love is truth. Truth is taking responsibility for my failure. Truth is standing when I need to stand for something I've done wrong. Truth is forgiving a brother who's guilty before you. So the Bible says, love each other in word and truth. It's, it's everything that was ever not right in my real family. So God, you're challenging us to make it right in our godly family, that our godly leadership follows the same example that the people follow, that the same judgments are held for both. The more public position I'm in, the more public responsibility I have. If I have to repent publicly, why is that so hard? The only thing that gets in the way of that is our pride. And if you repent, you will be forgiven. There's no whooping post. There's just truth and reality. And putting away all the pretend churchianity that's out there. And just saying, no, it's not about all that stuff. It's about a real and true reliance on Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Master. So if I say yay, it's because he tells me to. If I say nay, it's because he tells me to. I'm following him. What he says is good is good. What he says is bad is bad. Period. God, may we rightly reflect who you are to a world that doesn't really know you and will only see you in our example of you. God, I pray we would take seriously that role. Stand and be the men and women God is calling us to be. See your truth expressed in our life. Be glorified in our worship and the way we relate to one another. God, may your spirit move in this place and drive us to you. And we will give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.